Good afternoon, and welcome to Uncle Paul's Jazz Closet. This is your host, Cindy McGurl, on August 19th, 2019. Um, I've been taking a little radio vacation the last couple of weeks, so it's nice to be back. Um, I want to thank my sponsors, which um, include the Curator and the Dowling Walsh Gallery on Main Street in Rockland and Rockport Automotive also. And I have a, a great show today, I think. <laughs> it's kind of going to be improvisational. Um, I'm going to call up uh, bassist Eddie Schuler in just a few minutes, and um, we're going to chat So, and play music. Um, Eddie Schuler um, is a, a very well-regarded bassist, if I may say so. And he played with Paul Modian back in the early 80s, beginning then. Um, he was part of both of uh, Paul Modian band quintets and um, is on probably uh, a little a handful of Paul's albums. Um, I brought in a huge, I brought in a selection of um, things that Bill, uh, that Ed is on, Psalm, Mysterioso, Jack of Clubs, and the story of Mariam um, are the Paul albums as leader. And then um, Eddie and Joe Lovano and Paul did a live album called Live at A-Train. And, um, and Paul was a sideman on um, a Not Forts um, album with Eddie Schuler. And I have lots of rehearsal tapes with him, too. Um, so I have quite a big pile. Um, but when I was talking to him on the phone, um, he asked me if I knew the name of a song that was recorded at, live at the Jazz Forum in um, a 1982 um, recording that was done by a friend of Paul's. And um, and the song was Le Voyage, and um, I had sent it to Joe Lovano to see if he could identify it, because I couldn't quite figure out what it was. And uh, Joe sent it on to Ed, and it kind of went around, and then um, I believe it was uh, Martin Speak identified it for us. Or maybe he's, no, I can't remember who it was. Somebody I finally identified it, and then everyone agreed, yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> So I'm going to start off the show with that, and then I'm going to try to call Ed on the phone and um, get all that technical stuff worked out while it's playing. So this is um, Billy Drews and Joe Lovano on saxophones, Eddie Schuler on bass, Paul Modian on drums, and uh, Bill Frizzell on guitar, and um, September 30th, 1982 at the Jazz Forum in New York City.
Okay, um, that was um, Le Voyage. Uh-oh. Eddie, are you there? Oh, hi, yes. Hi, Cindy, how you doing? Okay, wait a second. Okay, let's try that again. <laughs> I said I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I can't hear you through my headphones for some Technical problem. Yeah, but I think you're... Talk again. Yes. Hello. Okay. Talk yeah, then. you're going. You're going out over the air, but you just okay. sound. Oh, Hi, everybody. <laughs> oh, okay, I got it. All right. Yeah, I just had something turn too low. Okay, that should work. Um, so thanks for um, coming on the show, and uh, well, so we just you. we just played live at the Jazz Forum, which was uh, one of the early gigs of the Palmodian Quintet. Um, with uh, Billy Drews, Joe Lovano, Bill Frizzell, and uh, yourself. And, Paul, do you remember that gig? Or? I kind of do, yeah. We played a couple of gigs there. Uh, it was a loft space. Mark Marganelli uh, ran it. He's a, he's a trumpet player. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was a lot, he, there was a lot, of, uh, lot of different... It was a great little space to have, you know, do gigs. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have Paul's, um, um, according to Paul's notes, um, yeah, he, it was um, three sets beginning at 10 p.m. Right. And uh, and you got 60% of the door. It cost $6 for people to get in. (laughs) And he he took in $200 for the band. And uh, I calculated that at 55 people. (laughs) Not very many, you know. I mean, you know. In, in a sense, that's pretty good, you know, unless you're playing at Carnegie Hall or something. That's, yeah, well, he says uh, he wrote Book Again for last Thursday in January of 83. <laughs> right, right, we did do it again. Yeah. Um, so um, you, you've you started um, to talk about a little bit how you first met Paul, and um, and so maybe our listeners would like to hear... Right. A little about that, and uh, we started by saying that you're you're a bit younger than Paul is, and um, so you were yeah. a fan of some of his early music, and well, yeah. you know, I, of course, well, you know, as a, as a when I as I started to get into music and jazz and, and you know the whole thing, of course, I was listening to Bill Evans, and Scott LaFaro with Paul, you know, the classic, uh, the Live at the Vanguard, and all these great records. I, you know, it's just beautiful things, and. Um, <clears throat> And then, you know, later he played with Keith Tarrant Band for like a long time, 10 years or something. And that was also with uh, Dewey Redman and uh, Charlie Hayden and other people, I guess, various. There was a percussion player uh, spacing on that name right now. But, um, you know, various things. But I, that was like some of my favorite music, you know, things that Paul was in. I was, you know, basically, I was a complete, total fan. And by the time I heard Bill Evans live, of course, Paul wasn't playing with him anymore, and that was other people. But, uh, you know, I, so I was a real fan. And then, so, and when I moved to New York around, you know, sort of 75, 76, uh, I started playing with Tim Byrne. And Tim Byrne, a saxophone player and composer, kind of, a, you know, pretty original kind of contemporary jazz, more on the free music kind of style. But, you know, very composed music. And he... He, he somehow was able to get Paul Motion. You know, it was like, oh, wow, you got Paul Motion. And so we, we started playing. We made records and everything. Uh, Mutant Variation, a couple of records that are... Um, 
I don't, I don't know if they're available anymore, but, you know, LPs back in the day. Yeah, and yeah, I had a show. Uh, Tim called into the show when we played some of that stuff. And, oh, yeah, 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 right, right. Fairly recently. So I think that was the first, you know, I mean, so I got to play with him. And then uh, this sort of, with how this whole quintet thing started was, I mean, Joe and Bill Frizzell were already playing with him. And uh, he wanted to start a quintet, so he actually, he wanted Mark Johnson, a uh, fine bass player, who was actually Bill Evans' last bass player, incidentally. That's interesting. Um, uh, you know, before Bill Evans passed. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, he ended up getting another, you know, there was he auditioned for Stan Getz and ended up doing that. You know, I don't know. I would have picked, I would have, if I had a choice between Paul and Stan Getz, I I don't know what I would have done either, but <laughs> but uh, he he, did, he ended up doing that. So the kind of the and these guys, you know, Joe, I'd known him for a really long time, and Billy Drews, and you know, they just you know Eddie, you know, try this guy, you know, and he knew me anyway, so it was like a no brainer actually. Uh-huh. And so thing I know, we started rehearsing, and you know, it was just great. It was so much fun, and you know, like uh, it was like you know, I was like, wow, this is like you know, it doesn't get any better than this. That's how I was thinking, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that started, and then we we you know we've been ever since. You know, we've been uh, you know acquaintances and friends, and even when we weren't playing together, you know, I used to call I call him up just to just to shoot the, the shit or whatever you want to call it. You know, just to have fun. You know, he was great. We talked, told each other jokes all the time. You know, we played with Lee Conitz. We played with a lot of other people too. We did some records with. I did a record with him with Tommy Flanagan, um, Hank Jones. You know, oh. I mean, we did. We these are pretty. I'm sure they're really hard to find. Yeah, There's I don't some, know. I haven't heard about those two. Yeah, yeah. I, I got their LPs, of course. The Rudy Van Gelder. You know, so we, you know, we were kind of doing different things. We'd end up on things together without even, you know, really planning it. You know, uh-huh. but but uh, anyway, that's how that pretty much. It's kind of organic kind of thing, you know. Yeah, it seems like the um, the jazz groups are just like that. You play with different people, and somebody's not available, and somebody else comes in, and exactly, yeah. And in fact, that's that's kind of like the, sometimes you know how it works. It's like you know somebody calls you up for a, a job, and you know if you or a gig or to play something, and if you like that person and you like that music, even if it doesn't pay a lot or it's the circumstances are not ideal or something you know i mean as far as i was concerned man i'm going to play that thing because because who knows if that may be an opening to something you know so it's like always everything leads to something you know and if it doesn't you know at least you played you know it's it's it's, the business is really it's different than most other i I, you know endeavors that that human beings do (laughs) you kind of it's a network but it's uh, it's very organic. Like things lead to other things, and you don't really you can't really plan it. Some people want to plan their whole, you know, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to audition for that guy, and I'm going to, you know, and it, I don't think that ever works. But what do I know? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that yeah, it sounds like the same attitude that Paul had. He, you know, he played with just lots and lots of different people. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, he didn't, you know, if he could do it, he did it, and. Uh, and yeah, and sometimes it was great and led to other things, and sometimes it wasn't that great. And then, if that person called again, he said no, you know. Yeah, well, that's how you learn, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, 
I'm going to play this um, rehearsal from October 27, 1981, which okay, um, wow. <laughs> is ages ago. And, the, <laughs> and But it's about when you started the, um, uh, I think... Yeah, it was around 81. When yeah, when you started the quintet. And right. um, this is um, this whole rehearsal is a pretty happy day, I think. You guys are laughing a lot and stuff. Oh, yeah, we laughed so. a lot. We, <laughs> we laughed a lot. Yeah. So I wonder if you have that, just a, real quick, because there was one thing that stands out in my memory. Uh-huh. Um, we first played that song, White Magic, that we ended up recording on Psalm for ECM. Yeah. Um, the first time we played it, we couldn't get through, we couldn't even get through the, the first chorus because it was, we laughed so hard. Uh-huh. Stop playing, we couldn't play anymore, you know. So there was a lot of laughing going on, you know. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I had a little... Well, that I one that is on. Yeah. What White Magic is on this CD, but I don't know if I it, don't know if it's the it's first. Well, yeah, it's on the CD, but yeah. oh yeah, I know what you mean. You mean oh, it's, the on this re- it's on this rehearsal. I'm not sure CD. if that's the first one or whatever, yeah. but uh, it was the very first one. We it was just I just remember that you know whatever. But play this. Uh, this sounds interesting. Okay, uh, I'll play. We, I'll play dance, and then I'll look and see if I yeah. have any older rehearsal ones with White Magic or not. So yeah, all right. If that was if that was recorded, it's. It'd be like hilarious. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we'll try dance. (laughs) All right. Billy, as soon as I know for sure about the show, I don't think, I guess at this point you shouldn't plan on it. Right. But kind of be ready.
Okay, so that was dance. Did it bring back memories, Ed? <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good. It was a very interesting version. Yeah, uh, yeah. How, it's interesting to hear that because how that's another thing. You know how these, you know they 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 evolve as we play them and you know gigs and, and rehearsing and and you know it's like it's the same tune but it it has it's, it's real different by at the end when we actually recorded it on that one of these records. Uh, for um, for Bone and Drini, um, Soul Note, you know, it, it, it completely evolved to a different thing, you know, but it's still the same tune. That's, I just find that interesting. Yeah, um, it, it seems like Paul's music it can be played so differently that, yeah. Oh, yeah, it really absolutely. Can yeah, really you know, another thing about the rehearsal process with Paul, you know, we try things a lot of different ways. Like one time he wanted just to do it completely something whatever pick it whatever with some tune we do it 
we do it free, we do it with a beat, we do it swing, we do it some other way. We, I, you know, and uh, and at some point he just decides what it's going to be. You know, uh-huh. but it, but we try all kinds of you know the same thing, same tunes in different, completely different ways. You know, and I, you know, that's I guess yeah, that's what makes sense. You know, the way to do it. You know, but yeah. uh, but I, not too many people with that. You know, I guess you know in those days we had, you know, the spirit was different. You know, you had time to re- really rehearse and work on stuff, and it doesn't seem like nowadays it's pretty hard to do. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's hard for people to find the time to rehearse exactly. so much. Yeah, well, Paul, being like New York, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, have you lived in New York um, continuously? Pretty, pretty much. much. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was born in. I was born in New York. Um, uh, but when I when we were, I lived in Berlin for a year with my parents when I was around nine, eight, nine years old. And then we, uh, after that, we moved back, we, we moved to Boston. I lived in Boston. My father became the uh, president of the New Conservatory, Gunther Schuller, a great a composer and conductor. Very Actually, there's some stories about him and Paul, because they were all in the scene there. Yeah. In New York. Uh, but anyway, we moved to Boston, and so I lived in Boston. When I was uh, old enough, I moved back to the New York area. So, you know, so I've kind of been in New York. I lived in... Uh, Europe for five years and, you know, different things, but even when I did that, I was always, you know, connected to New York. I never lost my apartment or anything. Luckily, yeah. that was it. But, I mean, you know, it just kept... And when finally I decided, man, I'm not... I, somehow New York is the place, you know, it's, it's there's a way... From New York, you, you can do a lot of things. It's kind of an international portal. That's how I thought of it. I don't know. Maybe that's changing now. Everything's getting so crazy, but but uh, that's how it was back then. You know, you, if you really wanted to go on the road and go to Europe and go to countries and play for all kinds of different people and do stuff, you kind of had to move to New York. I mean, maybe Chicago, maybe L.A. a little bit, but those were the places. I mean, anywhere else, you're just you could be the greatest musician in the world, but you're like a local guy. You know? Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it seems that seems that that was the way it was, but. Um, you know, people, I don't know, it, it worked out, you know, for me, it was great. I mean, I, it, once it got going, you know, I got to, I've got to play with so many amazing people and go all so many great places and, and get paid for it, you know, so how great is that? You know? Yeah, um, yeah. so you're, um, you're starting to do a little bit of writing about the time period of the quintet with Paul, is that, y- yes, do you I want am. to talk about um, that, or? I guess I could, yeah. Well, in this case, you know, because I don't, it's not so much about about Paul, you know, and or or the other guy. It's more focused on Jim Pepper, Uh who was the guy who took over from Billy Drews, which is also a wild story. But uh, yeah, tell tell us about that. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. Well, there was a thing, you know. What you just, what everyone just heard was the, uh, you know, that version of that tune dance. That was with Billy Drews. Yeah. And Billy Drews and Joe Lovano, and these guys played just amazing, like so beautiful, so together and in tune, all the things you want, right? I mean, in, in a musician. Um, but at some point, I was on the road with Paul, with various groups, you know, Tim Byrne and some other guys, you know, some French dudes. Anyway, uh, it, she started talking about, oh, I want somebody else. I want... I, I, 
Billy, I want, I need somebody. Billy sounds too much like Joe. We, I, I want to, and I, and I thought he was nuts. I really did. I thought, man, the guy's. This is the crazy train here, man. What is he talking about? You mean you get? He doesn't like him because he plays too good. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> you know he's funny. You know, but you know, Paul was just talking. He would, you know, he'd just go, kind of bar it, let go of uh, what he's thinking. You know, and tell me. And and then he'd ask me, "What do you think?" You know, and I'm like, "Wow, you know, that's how he was sometimes." You know, and uh, in these cases, he was really struggling with this, you know, and trying to figure this out. Uh, and he played with uh, Jim Pepper uh, with Charlie Hayden's Liberation Music Orchestra, so he kind of knew the guy. And I don't know, he something clicked. He said, "Man, I want a guy that doesn't sound anything like Joe Lovato." Uh huh. He wanted to change up the and sound. That's what he yeah. He got um, he got Jim Pepper. And uh, and I was always playing with Jim Pepper, you know. With, and so Jim was a very unique, uh, anyone who knew him, you know, will never forget it. He's like a kind of, I don't know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but a charismatic, completely amazing player and sound, but also one of the craziest people you've ever met. And uh, so, you know, things, is a dynamic that I've never seen anyone so there's all these stories with this guy that are incredible. They're incredible. They're like this, you know, as a story. Never mind the music. It's the story is just amazing. And so I'm trying to write some of these stories. And what these, if there's three stories right now that I'm working on because we did three records in Italy uh-huh. for Dreamy for Sono Records, and each one has a particular story that Pepper was the star of. That is that is amazing, you know, Jim Pepper, and and so each one is it's fascinating, you know, it's very complicated too. It's like, and and the idea was because I also write writing a I wrote a metaphysics kind of a music that's a whole, and I wanted to interject some of the chapters with you know with these really gritty stories of what it, the road is like, you know, something really is the opposite, and uh, that's my idea. I don't know if it works, but um, so I got these three stories that are kind of. They're, we call them Pepper stories because they, they, it was like what he did and how he came out of it still completely triumphant, even though it was, you know, like going through disasters and still succeeding. Uh-huh. The only person in the world that I know can do that. Anyway, that's these stories. So uh, maybe I'll, maybe he'll get published someday. I don't know. I'm just doing it, you know, also for my own, you know, I want to remember these things because they're really amazing. I mean, you can't believe this stuff is real you know it's like what happened it's crazy you know but uh or at least i think so yeah <laughs> the people will be the judge of it, you know <laughs> but uh, they're, you know it's pretty amazing so you know and i've been consulting with you know joe and i you know bill Frizzell, you know and different people that were around at that time and um and some of these stories and then uh and you so kindly gave me some of the notes that Pat, uh, on, on paul excuse me Paul wrote, uh, you know, in, he yeah. wrote a notebook, and it's very fascinating. It collaborates a lot of the stuff that happened, you know, but very, you know, it's very, you know, it's great. So it's, 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 I'm, you know, I'm enjoying doing it. It's something to, uh, you know, when I, you know, you can't always write. I'm not a real writer, writer, dude, every day gets up and writes. Well, when I feel it, you know, I, I go for it, you know. Uh-huh. And I, it's coming out pretty good, I think, you know. Needs some editing, needs work. Always, you know, you gotta never is quite the finished product, but you know, 
Yeah. Um, so I, I happen to have, um, so Jim Pepper started rehearsing with you guys, um, like, I don't know, in end of May, early June of 1983, not for very long. And then you did a live gig at Hasty Pudding. Um, and so I, I believe it's the first live gig that the quintet, the new quintet did. And there's actually... Oh, a, you mean with, with Jim? Yeah, with Jim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds yeah. totally... That's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was like a really quick... He came in, yeah, I know. And yeah. so I don't know, I think maybe we play one of these songs and uh, see if it sound how it, if it sounds different then. <laughs> oh yeah, it'll sound different. With I Billy guarantee Jones. that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you're gonna play, but I remember the hasty pudding, yeah, that was quite a quite a gig. Yeah. What do you think about uh look to the black wall, maybe? That's sounds a, good to me. Okay. <laughs> look to the black wall. We're looking, we're looking.
So Paul got what he wanted there, a different, totally different sound. <laughs> yeah, you know, wow, how about that? <laughs> I mean, do you, I, show me a band that plays like that now. <laughs> that, that, that was incredible. Thank you, Cindy, for playing that for me, because, you know, that I, it makes me realize, man, how amazing, you know, I mean, to some, you know, I don't know, speechless here. I mean, you know, the, what's beauty of it is that people don't realize, you know, it sounds like completely free, it, and it kind of is, but it's also very thematic, and it's on a form. Uh-huh. We're playing a form, and it may it's not marked by time, like normal ways that people do it, but this was one of the things that this band did that was kind of new. Like, this is unique music. I mean, it needs another, it's like its own genre, I believe, you know, like something like psychedelic, jazz or something i mean it, it's a total you know we were playing it's like bebop except there's no time like in the traditional sense it's hard to describe but yeah. uh i think people don't realize that sometimes you know it's not just go nuts and wiggle your fingers you know it's, it's actually the whole structure it's and uh you know and then of course with jim pepper you see you notice that even you know if you can differentiate between the two Joe is also playing much wilder than the, um, you know, in those first recordings you played earlier today. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's a whole, he, they were influencing each other, and uh, it was, uh, you know, really a beautiful thing to see, you know, these two sort of really different kinds of players, but just really, they had a very great mutual respect for each other and love, and that always permeated everything, you know, and it, it, it really, it actually, and in the end, I realized that Paul's idea was really brilliant. I mean, uh-huh. what a great mm-hmm. idea. He didn't want anything regular. It had to be a quintet. It couldn't be just a normal quartet. He had to have a trio or a quintet. And he also had to have, uh, he didn't want two saxophone players playing like the Woody Herman band. He wanted guys completely playing different stuff, you know. Yeah. And a foil, like a foil, that's what we call that. And uh, so they play off of each other. And it was just, it became also, I I stole that concept from my own stuff. Like, get people that maybe don't even like each other. And the music <laughs> is amazing, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's subtle things here. But it, uh, the spirit was so great. I, that was great to hear. Wow, what a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's, there's like, I don't know, there's tension between the saxophones, but also, like, you know, they meld together, too, at different points. It's. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Well, the way it would, you know, you hear these little themes of the of the tune, ba you know, it's going this rising line, and um, and they're always playing. They, you know, everyone would play that, you know, at that time, you know, to to move on to the next thing, you know, or what, you know. So it's all it's very structured, it's structured outness, I guess, what you would call it. I don't know. It's completely free, and yet it's completely structured. See, this uh-huh. is this is the thing that. People kind of, you know, people don't understand. There's a lot of this so-called free music. You know, if it's really good, it's really, it's, it's, you know, it's like a composition. It's not just go do anything. You know, yeah. it's what people think. You know, and if they don't, you know, they don't hear a melody. You know, whatever with all the old stories. If it's not a groove like they can snap their finger to or something, everybody thinks it's just just crazy stuff or something. Yeah. But uh, you know, because we're not educated, but you know, the world 
doesn't understand. But those who do and see this music, you know, my father was a composer and conductor of all kinds, involved with jazz, but also, you know, contemporary classical music and all kinds of incredibly, you know, complicated uh, things. And, you know, so he struggled with that, even though he was very successful. You know, the difference between, you know, we have, the, of course, the popular music, you know, what's, what the what's being marketed, you know, is all we hear, you know. So anyway, I'm getting off. On yeah. Stuff. Well, no. So your father was um, an arranger and a conductor. Would you say? Yeah. Well, he was. And, no, he was and, a, and, he, and a Pulitzer and a composer. composer. Uh-huh. Completely. That's actually what his main thing was composing. Oh. Yeah. Changer, he did everything. He wrote books. He wrote two books about jazz history, um, and uh, also other books. Of conducting, he was an f- incredible conductor. I mean, he's kind of like everything. He was. He started. His instrument was French horn, but he played in the Metropolitan Opera. But he would hang out. See, in the fifties, he was hanging out at all the jazz clubs. He got into jazz. You know, he got into Duke Ellington, then he got into Bird, and you know, he heard everybody. He was hanging out. You know, going to mittens and stuff. You know, and uh, and so he met Paul around that time. In fact, there's uh-huh. a story where. You know, because he was doing these third stream things, which is a combination of jazz and classical, you know, whatever. I don't want to go into the whole thing. But uh, it, the idea, you know, he would need, he, he needed a drummer and he need you know, it's like they'd have a string quartet, but they'd also have a rhythm section. And, yeah. you know, he did records with the Scott LaFaro and, you know, uh, Bill Evans and, you know, Ornette Coleman, Eric Dolph, you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah. So he, he tried to hire Paul for one of these things. And uh-huh. Paul he turned it down because he, Paul claimed he didn't really know how to read music and he was afraid that he wouldn't do it right. Uh-huh. Which I don't, I don't know. Paul didn't, Paul was so great he didn't need to read music. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but even if he didn't, I don't understand that. But anyway, that's the story, you know, this is before I was, well, you know, he, he, when he was in the Navy, he was excited because they send you to um, music school, you know, because he was, he got, he got right. into the Navy right. to be in the Navy band. But, but it turns out that he was sick almost the whole time. He was oh, yeah. in the training part, and so he didn't really get to go. And, um, and so maybe that had something to do with his confidence. But so they just threw him into the band anyway, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I, yeah, it was it was interesting that they did, but uh, you know, he because those guys they were all they knew each they were on the scene, you know, they yeah. were going, you know, they'd be, you know, on Fifty Second Street checking out stuff, you know, and that, yeah. you know, that in that time there was so much, there was so much nightlife, jazz was everywhere, you know, it was yeah, you know, yeah, Paul, we just. Go down to the musicians' union, and everyone was hanging everything. around, waiting to get hired for this and that. And, 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 and you know, these yeah. guys were all doing studio things too. Like, like my father was doing all kinds of studio, also arranging. Like, yeah. You know, being, you know, conducting, you know, things. You know, he did everything. You know, making money, you got to make a living, right? You know. Yeah. So he did all this stuff, but uh, uh, he never really got into the Broadway scene. That's the only thing he didn't do, but. Uh-huh. Every, but he, uh, yeah. So they were all, you know, uh, they were they knew each other. And then, you know, my father loved Bill Evans, and uh, you know, heard Paul. I mean, you know, here's the thing that I lucked out because when I got into music, 
my father had the record collection that, you, you know, if you're into jazz, I mean, he had everything. So that's when I first heard Paul was the, these first records of Bill Evans, you know. Uh, yeah. And uh, he had all those records, you know, these amazing, you know, everybody digs Bill Evans. There's a, that's yeah. one record. Um, we have to take a little break for the top of the hour. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It's just yeah, a couple sure. minutes, and then um, and then we'll be back with uh, Eddie Schuler for another hour. So Sounds good. Stay tuned. Thank you, Cindy. I'll see you okay. in a sec. Okay. Uh, welcome back to Uncle Paul's Jazz Closet. Uh, today's show features um, Eddie Schuler on the phone, um, and we're talking about the Palmodian Quintet and kind of some general jazz stuff. Um, I have um, I have some of your newer work that you sent me to Eddie. Um, yeah. This um, I was listening to this album Evidence yeah. with uh, Jerome Harris, Bill McHenry, Nicole Campkin. I'm not sure if I yeah, pronounce. Yeah, that's her. That's her. I mean, that's my wife. That's I your think. wife. Oh, okay. And yeah, uh, also, yeah. Pete Davenport. So right. Um, do you want to talk a little about how that band came together? Uh, yeah. Well, actually, that was an interesting thing because, um, you know, we were talking about how hard it is to get together. So I said, well, if I'm going to start a band, you know, and I'm going to, you know, I live in Brooklyn. I live in Fort Greene area of Brooklyn. I said, man, I want to have everyone who plays in my band to be, you know, within a mile of me. You know, because get, trying to get people from Jersey to come in, you know, and rehearse and do anything. I said, no, I'm going to get everybody. And I realized how many great musicians there are within a minute of me. You know, Jerome Harris was walking distance. At that time, Bill McHenry. I mean, I, everybody lived walking distance, practically. Uh, uh-huh. In fact, everyone, you know, the drummer. And, uh, you know, that's it. And it was like, so we were able to get together and rehearse and try to, you know, it was a process. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, I did some gigs few gigs uh you know uh but mostly we uh you know and then we fi- finally got the recording you know uh and that was the last jazz record that was on gm records which, uh, um you, know, you mean but, um, they didn't produce anymore after that you mean well yeah because you know no yeah because it, yeah because my father died and <laughs> Oh. And uh, that was kind of it. It was but, his uh, thing. Yeah. No, he he was just sort of retiring. He done, well, no more productions for a while because uh, they have such a it's such a large catalog already. So, but it, you know, it was really great to do. We did it at Systems Two, great studio. That's also not in existence anymore. But um, you know, uh, yeah. And Jerome Harris, well, I, I you know that's a guy I know. He played with Paul too. So did Bill McHenry. Mm-hmm. All these guys, you know, they're they're just. Great. I knew Jerome Harris. I would played at his audition at the New England Conservatory in nineteen, you know, seventy three or something. <laughs> so it's how long I've known him, and uh, and he's really a guitar player. He's known for playing bass, but uh, he's a fan. Yeah, he's just a great musician. Oh, great yeah, he guy. plays. Really yeah, wonderful, uh, wonderful person, and you know, anyway, old friend of mine. You know, Bill McHenry, and also fantastic. You know, these people are deep, have deep souls, you know, like uh, wonderful human beings, you know. Yeah, and yeah, Paul really, really liked know, him. Yeah. And it was really great. You know, my wife, I really love. She, you know, and she's doing her own unique thing that is beautiful. And, uh, you know, and it was just a great, you know, it's great 
it really, I, I really like that record. I think it came out quite well. Um, you know, but you, at least, you know, the people were, you know, into making it good, you know, making it right, you know, and I, I you know, can go different attitudes, but, but these people were, you know, it, it felt good, you know, so it felt yeah. like the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, do you want to, is there a tune on here that, um, you would like uh, us, what do you think we should play? Do uh, you wrote quite a bit of the music on here? Um, how about uh, why don't we get it? Yeah, what do you sounds think? good to me. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Okay, why don't we get it?
So do you still um, play with this group, or not? Bill is now living in Spain, though, right? So he's he moved to Spain. Yeah. And uh, I don't have enough money to fly back for a gig at you know at Shapeshifter or something, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, yeah. But I do play. I just did something with Jerome Harris uh, recently. So you know, we do different things. You know, I'm just um, I'm I'm more into doing recording right now. Um, and you know, I'm just go, you know going while I can. You know, go for what I. I love. I, you know, I don't even care about making money. I just want to make some, you know, music. What I, you know, do things that I've wanted to do. It's kind of like my bucket list of music that I still wanted to record and do something. You know, I don't necessarily have a record company backing me up or anything, but you know, I'm just when I got the means a little bit, uh, I, I try to do something. You know, it just comes in spurts. But um, I'm trying to do, you know record these things and you know i just did some stuff with jerome i'm working on a new record right now and uh, but uh, you know these things are you know self-produced now you know this is how it, I, work, I roll right now so um, yeah but, it, it seems like uh yeah a lot of people are doing that these days to so yeah it's hard to you know get stuff hard out, doing yeah. it any other way you know and everything's different you know the whole the whole way everything's done in, in the whole entire music business is completely changed you know it really fast i mean you blink and things are you know you, nobody even knows what a cd is anymore you know stuff like that yeah it's uh it's pretty wild but um yeah i think in, and i think with jazz the i don't know the playing in the moment and the live stuff um you know, like i don't know i mean there's the quintet made really great albums but when you hear the when you hear them live when you hear you guys live it's uh it's even better you know like it's i don't know somehow it, the recording is almost if i if i if i may quote 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 uh, quote quote the great ornette coleman he he said well well it's it's live it's always live it's live if it's not live you're dead, and oh. if you're dead, you don't have many options. That's yeah. what Ornette said. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Yeah. yeah. He said that in an interview. I just, I just had to get that in there. Sorry. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I hear you. You know, I, of course, I get, you know, recording is a more. It's more engineered, thing. I guess. Yeah. But you know, there's something to be said about that. You know, it's a, it's yeah. I mean. Listen, there's nothing greater than play. People give you energy. I mean, obviously, it's the most beautiful thing when you're playing really having a great, you know, you know, playing with really great music and people are loving it. You know? I mean, that's when this stuff really happens, you know. Yeah. That's when you, all the, the creativity, that's where it comes from. You know, it's like dynamic. It comes out of, this is when, you know, if you're playing for like five people that don't even like you, you know, you're not going to be that inspired, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, but in the studio, you know, you get to work on stuff. See, there's some different, they're, they're both great. Like Ornette said, they're both live. You're yeah. both living. You That's true. Different you're right. You know. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> but I hear you. You know, I know what you mean. You know, there's a certain, you know, and also there's more, you know, it's, it, it, there's, there's a, the, the, when you're live, you know, you, there's no, stopping you know you gotta whatever happens happens 
and uh, and however the situation is, and you can't predict it, and that's the beauty of it, you know. So you can't control it, and you can't predict it, and that's why with sometimes when it's good, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah uh, we wanted to try to play that um, white magic that you were saying oh, yeah. in rehearsal. I I queued it up. I don't know if it's the right one, but. Um, so I the, don't know. I wouldn't know. Yeah. <laughs> but you said there was three in a row, kind of? Yeah, like like there's it definitely sounds like, breaks, you know, cause so. like I said, we had to do, we had to, to, just to get through, we had to do it a couple times. And, so yeah. funny. I want to, maybe that's it. Let's find out. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, this is, so this is September 18, 1981, and it's just a quartet, so... Oh yeah, maybe you can help me with this because I'm not sure oh, wow. if it's Billy Drews or Joe Lovano. It's just one of them, I think. Okay, well I should be able to tell. We'll see. Okay. Well now let's do it the way we were doing it, and I'll play drums. I'll play drums. <laughs> no, you better. One, two, three, play. <laughs> He wants us to play it twice as fast.
Well, you remembered that correctly. <laughs> yeah, I sure did. I, in fact, it's even more intense than I even remember. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it was a long time. That was like several minutes of to- solid laughing. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Wow. Yeah. So do you think that was Joe Lovano or Billy Drew? Oh, no, that was definitely Joe Lovano. It was Joe. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, every, yeah. Every, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I didn't really forget that. I because I'm reading Billy Drew's living there. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that was the first time. Yeah, that was, the, the, it's, that is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's good to know, because I also, too, like in the, um, I, you know, I have Paul's notebooks of his working compositions, and um, they're not really dated. So, like, now I know that, like, White Magic, like, that's the first time you played it, so... You know, those notebooks yeah. are from around that time, probably. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know. He, You know, he would just bring stuff in. And most of it was really new, like he had just written it. Yeah. And, and uh, at that time, he seemed to be, you know, he wasn't bringing in some old chestnut of his or something. You know, he, he we, the only other stuff we did was Monk and, you know, some, we, well, I don't know. We did um, Bill Evans, a few things, we did stuff. But mostly it was his tunes that he was writing right at the time, you know. So it was really fresh off the, you know, re- fresh off the press there, right? Yeah. You know? So yeah. he must have just written that. And, man, <laughs> you know, we decided that it was like, because sort of, there was another thing. This is sort of almost pre-punk. It's kind of like punk, like punk jazz or something. Uh-huh. You know, it has this punk thing, you know. And Paul is so ahead of his time. Eh? I mean... The, the Ramones, I, I don't know, it was just starting. That was in the 70s, right? You know, I don't know. Um, maybe they'd already been, but something about it reminds me that it connects up with punk rock or something. I don't know. Yeah. So what? why was it so funny when you were trying to play it? Just Well, because, you know, it's this, you know, dee da it was just, I don't know. <laughs> it, it just got, you know, once the bug, the, the last, you know, the crazy train bug, funny bone gets going. Yeah, it's contagious. I mean, listen to it. It's so weird. It's so funny. First time you hear it, and we're trying to play this, and it's like, what is this crazy, weird thing, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, so, I, I don't know. We, and, you know, Paul, I mean, he, I'll tell you, he, because he was, a, he was a very, when he was laughing, he really laughed. I mean, and he was uh, always loving telling jokes, and he had this special laugh that was infectious. Once he started laughing, everyone starts laughing, you know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that, uh, this is uh, kind of a thing. But anyway, yeah, I don't know. It was really funny. I thought it was, I was laughing before they even they started laughing. Uh-huh. You know, my own, my, my young self. That <laughs> 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 was weird. It was like going back in time or something. Yeah, yeah, it must be. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right, we get oh, about. What else you got for me? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> what else you got for me? What else? Um, Maybe we should. Can we play one of those records, like the quintet? Which one? I don't know. Uh, anyone? I don't. I don't like know. one of the official records. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, you know, uh, let me see. Uh, 
Do you have a favorite? We've got, I've got some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of checking this out. Um, Story of Mariam. Jack? Well, they're they're all wonderful. Um, well, maybe uh, Jack of Clubs. You can tell us about the uh, the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> right, Jack. Jack of Clubs. Exactly. Let's With the little photo one. booth pictures. You know what? The first tune is fantastic. I love that first tune. Jack of Clubs. Jack yeah. of Clubs. The, the title song. They're both their cathedral song is also wonderful. But you know, let's try Jack and Club. That's okay. we're in the mood for out things. It's pretty out. Yeah, <laughs> Frizzell at his best. And Frizzell's unbelievable in this. Um, yeah. So tell us about that. The, the morning you did these photos. So Paul's, right. Paul's this idea. Is very funny. Yeah, I don't know. I think we were in one of those somewhere in France, maybe Strasbourg. I can't remember, but I'm not sure. But we so we got we're getting in a train station. And it's eight in the morning. You know, we bought, we just had a gig, you know, last night. We're all like sleep deprived, probably hung out, you know. Everybody looks very bleary eyed and kind of, you know, whatever. Not, we're not in the best shape here. It's really early in the morning. And we're going to the train. We're barely making, you know, we're trying to get to the train. And suddenly Paul says, he sees one of those photo booths. I don't know if they have these anymore, but you sit down and he takes a photo of you and you get the photos and these little, snapshot things, you know, and um, and so he decided that well, that was going to be our photos, and like, we're not like, you know, when it's like combing their hair, they're complete, we're completely out looking like a bunch, like a motley crew if I ever seen them. and so he, but he takes these pictures, you know, and that's what, and you know, I just thought it was a joke, you know, I was like not even amused, I was like, man, can we just get on the train so I can fall asleep, you know, and uh, but yeah, and that's what he did, and those are the photos. And and I am a pissed, especially the first one. I if you got this record, there's a couple. I mean, you know, you can clearly see that <laughs> Paul is probably looks. He looks like a gangster. Paul <laughs> Pepper doesn't look that bad. Joe looks a little peeved. <laughs> Joe looks like he's like ready to, you know, throw up. Uh, I don't know. It's amazing, but. Um, I thought it was a very, um, you know, it turned out to be a very great idea. You know, Paul comes up with these things. I mean, that was his idea. That had nothing, I don't know, he convinced the record company to put that on the cover. So, yeah, yes. nothing to do it's with that. Fun. But yeah. I didn't think it was even for a record or any, I didn't, we hadn't even made the record yet. Yeah. <laughs> he did, you know. He was uh, thinking so. ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> okay, so this is a Jack of Clubs.
Okay, so that was uh, Jack of Clubs. And are you there, Eddie? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so you do you want to talk a little more about the quintet and the maybe a tour? How about a touring story? Can you tell us one? Uh, yeah. Sure. Um, that's a good idea. Um, well, yeah, let me think. Um, well, there was just, um, on the, it's interesting, on the second, the second tour we did that where we recorded, like there's three recordings that, like for solo that I mentioned before, um, and this one, on the third one, a lot of things happened which were, which were interesting, um, and strange, uh, like, I remember one of the first things is, uh, we, for example, we did a lot of traveling. We, we would really travel far. I mean, this was insane. Now, nobody could do this anymore. But, you know, we'd, we'd go from, like, we used to think the manager, Thomas Thousand, would just throw darts at a map of Europe. And, and we would just, because there was nothing made sense, you know. You'd go from Berlin to Paris or Paris to Budapest. And, you know, like insane, you know. So, uh, anyway, we, we, this was one time we came from Berlin. And we came all the way to Paris. It was very long, night train. Um, and, uh, okay, so the idea was we would get there, and we would take the subway, because the subway in Paris is very good, actually. And, I, you know, I have a bag. We have instruments and bags, and, you know, we have stuff. And it's not so easy, but um, oh, we're, we've done this. We know how to do it. I got a wheel on my bag. Everything was okay. Except when we got there at six in the morning, the uh, taxi cab drivers were no. The metro was on strike. The metro, so no train. There's no way we're getting on a train. So we got to get a taxi. And you know now there's hundreds of people wanting taxis. So and we got all these instruments. You know I have the bass, of course, the worst thing. And uh, we we're. Um, you know, I'm trying to get a taxi, and you're in this line, and you know, and one they just pass me by. They didn't even want to look at the see the base. They just drive on. There's no etiquette there. They they <laughs> horrible. And uh, and so this one guy, you know, I'm kind of losing it. You know, I'm really tired, and I, I'm just and 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 I, you know, it's six in the morning, and I just can't believe this. And these taxi drivers are so rude. And one guy actually says something really heavy, like you know, I don't even know if I should say it on the radio. Sacre bleu. Blah, 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 blah. You know, you know, whatever. All this French stuff, and I knew what it meant, and I and I just lost it. I hit the top of his cab with my fist, like in anger. <laughs> the guy got out of the cab, came up to me, and before I could say hello, he slapped me like a slap, like a like a you know, like challenge you to a duel. Uh-huh. Kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I okay, so now I'm gone. I'm into complete craziness. I, you know, we started getting in a fist fight, like a real serious thing. Only, it only lasts for a few seconds because all of a sudden we notice that there's all these lights on around us. And it's because there's a news crew covering the Metro strike. <laughs> and this is exactly what they want to see, is a fight, you know, chaos. <laughs> the cab driver, of course, he freaks. He doesn't want to be on TV fighting. Customers, <laughs> so he he leaves, 
And you know, I'm like, what the hell? So, and then, and then this, I remember this, this, this other cab driver, like a Jamaican guy. He goes, "Yo, man, I take you, man, no problem." You know, and I, I mean, it was like, out of the bad comes the good. You know, it was like, <laughs> but I'll just never forget. You know, like I really got in a fist fight in Paris and Gardenoid. You know, unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> but that's one story. I know that was a short one. The other ones are all very long. <laughs> Your temper got the better of you. <laughs> well, you know, but I, yeah, but the guy, well, he slapped me first. I didn't. Yeah. I did hit his cab. That's true. <laughs> but that's not the same as hitting someone in the face. No. Or slapping in the face. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. We were we we're young. We did crazy stuff, you know, the 80s. I mean, think about it. I don't know if you remember the 80s, but <laughs> anyone who remembers that knows it was. Those 70s and 80s, that was a real wild time in our world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have, we have different wild times now, but uh, in those days, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, hey, so where were you at Woodstock, during Woodstock? Was that... That's interesting, yeah. Because you know, everyone's on, talking about it. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, 1969, okay, I was nine years old. Yeah. My parents weren't going to let me go to Woodstock. Yeah. But I was totally <laughs> into it. I was oh, into all those bands. I mean, that's what I was into at that time. Uh-huh. You know, Jimi yeah. Hendrix, you know, The Who, Jethro Tull, you know, I, well, you name it. Uh, every All those, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin. Well, no, Led Zeppelin wasn't there yet. Uh, Cream was there. Uh, you know. Yeah. All the Ricky Havens, you know, whatever. I, I loved all of it. So I was totally into it. I wanted to be there. I was heard all about it. it was, this was my dream. I was like a little young crazy little hippie dude, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had long hair and everything, you know. I was like, uh, uh, you know, 69 was a crazy year. You know, I remember, the, of course, the moonshot. And the, but, I mean, you know, a lot of really bizarre things. So, you know, it was kind of a coming of age. for Because in 1970, that's when I started, then I started to play bass, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, it was yeah. the, right after my birthday, January, uh, I the guy asked me in my high school if I wanted to learn how to play the bass and I kind of said no but the kids all my friends because I had a little hang with these certain guys that we were in, sort of getting into jazz and other music besides rock and roll and everything and um, you know they, they convinced me well we need a bass player and so I went back to the guy and that's how I started playing bass so did you play another instrument before that or was that your first I instrument? did I played guitar I played clarinet I was in a rock band before that yeah yeah oh. Yeah. I played, uh, I was a lead guitar player. I could play all this stuff, Jimi Hendrix. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know if it was as good as that, but I mean, I was, you know, I was doing it, you know. We were playing all these songs, you know. So, um, yeah. all the classic rocks, you know. So I, I did a few gigs. My first gig was unbelievable. There was a riot outside, you know. I should have known then, man, music, I don't know. Y- your, <laughs> first, your first gig, you mean? My very first gig that I ever played in the public in front of people was a rock gig. I was 14 years old uh-huh. at a club. At a club. Uh, no, a little, uh, what they call a, no, a, you know, it was a coffee house, not a real club. You know, they didn't have alcohol or anything. And uh, and uh, there was these two kind of, we didn't call them gangs, but, you know, they were just groups of, of people. You know, they, they were kind of like proto-gangs, you would call. And they, they, they got in a fight over if the band was good or bad, because we were we were playing this sort of what they called acid rock in those days, you know, 
yeah. all, you know, you know, Black Sabbath and stuff like that. And one group liked us, and the other group hated us. Uh-huh. And so, <laughs> I can't say what they said because they would yell stuff. And then they got into a brawl and a fight, and the police came, and there were billy clubs and blood. And this was my first gig, and I made twelve dollars and ninety-five cents. <laughs> was that? It was it in New York? No, that was in, no, that was in Newton, Massachusetts. Uh. That was around busing. That was a really diff, that's what I'm saying. You know, that, so that was in 1969 too, as I just remembered. That's actually apropos that we told that story. Yeah. Same year. Um, yeah, tumultuous. No, no, wait, no, it was a month later. I'm sorry, but uh, but uh, yeah, at that time it was 14, 19. Let's see, that would have been. Yeah, that's right. That makes sense. Anyway. It was getting weird. Um, <laughs> okay, well, um, see, we've got a couple minutes, and then we're going to put a song on to the end of the show okay. so I can clean up in here for uh, the next show on the air. Right. Um, but um, thanks so much for coming on, and um, I don't know. Well, do you, thank you. Do, do you want to, uh, anything else you want to tell us about the... Um, you know, you're really thinking about the quintet. It was a pretty long time ago, you know, but you, you stay friends with pretty much everybody in the group. And um, you still play with Joe on and Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, Joe, Joe, I, me and Joe, yeah, exactly. Yeah, me and, well, we, we've, you know, he, I mean, thank, you know, he's such a great guy. We did many gigs. He hired me for many things with his own projects and his own stuff, and I'm on a bunch of records with him, for, you know, with Blue Note stuff. And, uh, yeah, he's one of my best friends for so many years. I, yeah, I mean, we're still, uh, actually, where I'm right now, I'm in upstate New York. I'm not far from where he has his, where he lives. Yeah. And uh, we get together and hang out, and, uh, you know, we play sometimes. And yeah. He's a wonderful, you know, all these guys, uh, yeah, you know, everyone, you know, who's still, still I mean, Bill Frizzell, you know, he's, he's what a wonderful human being that is you know yeah. i mean these kind of you know they're of course yeah we, you, you know, these are lifelong uh relationships you know yeah um so we're going to play moo point from the moo point album but do you want to okay. say something about when you put that together so you've got dewey redmond bill bickford and paul modian right on, um I, on this particular tune i think there's no guitar just trio Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, this was a song that I wrote, kind of a you know kind of influence, I guess you know some people call it derivative or Ornette Coleman and stuff. But um, yeah, it's a, the Moo point stands for uh, the Moo is a kind of Zen word, and I'm into the the idea of being right now and the jazz and music that is improvised. The key is to be right in the moment. You can't think about what you want to play. Or what you already played, yeah. What you're right doing right now, and that, and that's one of the few human disciplines that really requires that, or it doesn't work. You know, it's kind of amazing. But anyway, it's about that. It's a kind of a philosophical Zen point of view of, uh, you know, the past and the future meet, and uh, and magic happens. Yeah. And so anyway, uh, that's what what it's about. And I've got the pleasure to. Have Dewey Redmond play with me and and Paul, and uh, I you know it was one of the great um, great experiences. Always playing with Paul, anyway. 
but to play with Dewey. And by the way, I wish I had tapes of their stories. Those two guys hanging out when I was rehearsing, incredible. Uh-huh. These guys, because they, you know, all the things with Keith, Jerry, I mean, you want to talk about road stories. Wow. Well, we'll never hear them, I guess. You know, see how stupid it is. I tried not to, you know, I didn't want to, all the verbal banter, I didn't want to record that. Yeah. You know, it, well, you know, I, I actually have two, uh, I have two cassettes of, from uh, the back, you know, the back room in Japan of 1975. Oh, wow. Of oh, wow. back room great. chatter yeah. that Paul... Paul did, um, and uh, it's a, uh, I don't know, it gets a little, gets a little racy in parts, a little personal, and a little, little oh, sexist sure, here sure. and there, so. There's no holding back. I probably won't play much of it on the air. <laughs> no, I guess you might get in trouble, actually, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, it's, but there are some funny parts, yeah. I'm um, sure there are. Wow, well, someday I'd like to hear that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can hear it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, okay, well, thanks again, and um, yeah, we'll have to have you on again, because there's just so much stuff. Uh, there's a lot yeah. to talk about. Hey, Cindy, I want to thank you so much. It was a great honor to do this. And, uh, oh, you're welcome. Uh, thanks for coming on. It's a beautiful thing that you're doing, because this, uh, this is really great. Yeah, well, it's really uh, fun. I, like, I, I really enjoy it, and yeah, I enjoy doing it, and getting to know Paul better through, you know. There you go. Well, we're all, because of you, we're all getting to know. I'm getting to know Paul better. It's amazing. Um, And and it's just great to bring these memories back. And uh, I thank you for that. So keep on keeping on. You too. Okay. All right. Um, Peace and music. Yeah. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.
Thank <laughs> you. 